to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. and paper and ready to take some notes. We're just going to have a great time. We're going to have a journey into God's Word again and just excited about that. Be getting ready to invite people for Back to Church Sunday. It's just a national event that people are really gearing up to bring people to church. But don't just wait till the 15th of September to invite them. We need to be inviting people every week to church and saying, you need to come to our church and, uh, and just allow God to bless you. I went and got my teeth cleaned today and invited the hygienist. And again, trying to have a conversation is not the easiest thing to have a conversation with someone when you're at the dentist office. Anyone know what I'm talking about? They ask you the question right when they start doing all the stuff, and you're like, what's the deal? I mean, don't they know by now that you can't talk when they're squirting you and sucking and, and doing all these kind of things? I mean, what's the deal? But I've just figure this out they just don't really want to hear what you say is what it is you know and all that but no she said she's going to come and it's awesome I, I, I coached her son Pete and I coached her son at soccer and they said they're going to come to the church you never know who you can touch as you invite so let's pray dear Heavenly Father we thank you for tonight God it's great to be in your house God we just love you tonight we praise you speak to our hearts and God will give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus name and everyone said Amen. So the whole month we've been asking the question, and here it is again. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you a fan of God? Just coming to the stadium called church every Sunday and cheering on God. And when everything's going great, you and God are so tight and you're just in with God. But then the moment your truck burns up and the moment you lose your job, the moment the problems happen... Are you still praising God? Are you still following God? Or are you saying, bad God, God, you don't love me. You don't care for me. You see, we've got to be really careful with that. Am I a fan or am I a follower? And I thought about this. It's easy for us to answer that question. But I wonder what the other people would say about you. I wonder if you were to go to the people you work with, the people you live with, you know, your family, and you were to ask them, so what do you think? Am I a fan of God or am I a follower of God? It can be a completely different story. I've shared this illustration before. I used to teach at FCA, Family Christian Academy. I, I taught Bible there. I was the youth pastor for the school and for the Jimmy Swaggart Ministries there. And, and one of the classes, actually with the seniors, I was with the seniors one day and I said, hey, this is what we're going to do today. We're going to go around the classroom. We're going to put one person up front and everyone in the classroom is going to say one good thing about that person and they're going to say one bad thing. So we went around the whole class and we laughed about different things and people got their feelings hurt and, you know, people couldn't believe this and people couldn't believe that. So it came to the end and I said, OK, my turn. I want everyone in here to say one good thing and one bad thing. And I began to notice something that there was a common denominator with the bad stuff. You know, it was easy to say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. But when they started to identify some bad stuff and it wasn't just one, it was many in the class that identified the same thing. You know what it made me realize? I may be not everything I think I am. And I maybe need to do some changing. And I think it can be good for us in life situations too because we can think we're a great Christian. We can think our relationship with God is where it needs to be, but the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in how we talk to our spouse and how we act around the people at our work and all that. So I challenge you, it's not maybe what you think you are that really matters. It's what other people see in you that maybe counts the most. And it can be painful at times to realize that and see that, but I would much rather deal with it this side of eternity instead of suffer for the rest of my life. Amen? And so, so just really challenge you with that. And, and I realize we've covered some really tough stuff. Uh, the last couple of messages, especially Sunday's message, that was a, a tough message. But I don't make no apologies for that because how can I apologize for the gospel? 
I can't apologize, you know. The invitation of Luke 9, 23, where it says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's tough. That's tough. There's no ifs, ands or buts about it. That's tough. But you know what else it is? Totally life changing. Totally life changing. And I want to look tonight at what I believe is one of the first true followers of God that we would see in the Bible. One of the first true followers of God that we see in the Bible. It's one of the earliest books. In fact, people think it's the first book that was ever written of the Bible. And you know what that is? The book of Job. We're going to look at the life of Job tonight. I laugh at one guy in England. He stood up to preach and he said, would everyone turn to the book of Job? And the whole night he talked about Job instead of Job. But we're going to turn to the book of Job tonight and and we're going to read about him. And really, we're just going to cover the first chapter. But in the first chapter, it's pretty interesting. As we will read it, you will understand this. The first chapter of Job is broke into three key areas. The first passage or first part of the chapter is it talks about Job's wealth, his blessings, his family, who he was. The next part talks about Satan's challenge, how he wanted to challenge his character, who he was. And then the last part of the chapter is that Satan does everything within his power to destroy and take everything that Job has. So we're going to read that. So if you've got your Bibles with you tonight, please turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, it's up on the screen for you. But we're going to read a few verses tonight, 22 verses actually tonight, but stay with us, okay? There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also in his possession were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, so that would make a 1,000 oxen, 500 female donkeys and a very large household so that, all, so, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each one at an appointed day, And he would send to the other and invite their sisters and they would eat and drink together. So it was when the day of their feasting had run their course that Job, the father, would send and sanctify them. He would rise early in the morning and offer a burnt offering according to the number of them all. For Job says, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day, here's the second section, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before God and Satan also came among them. Verse 7, and the Lord God said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge all around him, around his household, and around everything that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, All that he has is in your power. Only do not lay hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of God. Here's the third section. Are you ready for this? Now there was a day when the sons and daughters of Job were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said to him, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them when the Sabines raided them and they took them away. Indeed, they have killed all your servants with the edge of the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Verse 16, And while he was still speaking, 
Another one came and said, fire from heaven came and burnt up all the sheep and the servants and it consumed them. And I am the only one who has left and has escaped who was able to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and they said the Chaldeans formed three bands. They raided the camels. They took them all the way. Yes, they killed all your servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking. Can you believe this? I mean, can you, what a day. Say that with me. What a day. I think I'm having a bad day sometimes. It's nothing in comparison to what's going on in Job's life. While he was still speaking, another one came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are all dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Notice this. Then Job arose. He tore his robe and he shaved his head. And he fell to the ground. Here's a key phrase. And worshipped. And worshipped. And he said these words. Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked shall I return there. The Lord gave. And the Lord has now Taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now notice verse 22. An incredible, incredible verse. In all this. What an understatement right there just to say in all of this. Because I mean, that was a whole whole lot of stuff that just happened to him. But what does it say? In everything that he had faced that day. Job did not sin nor charge God with any of the wrong. He did not sin and did not charge God with the wrong. I've got to say right now, that's some follower. His response to the loss was the Lord gives and the Lord can choose to take away. But you know what? I'm still going to bless His name. I'm still going to praise God. I'm still going to rejoice in God. And then verse 23, in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with any wrong. What a follower. Man, that's a follower on steroids right there, you know. I mean, incredible, incredible, incredible. Despite it all, everything he had lost to go from one extreme, great wealth, great riches, great blessing in an instant. It wasn't over a period of time. It was in one day. Literally, while one was talking, the other was waiting to talk and the other was waiting to talk. Literally, maybe in the spell of 5, 10, 15 minutes, Job's world that was great came completely crushing down. Have you ever been in a place like that? Just almost in a moment, it seemed like your whole world had come crushing crushing down. But he didn't blame God. And nor did he cease from following God. I've just got to be honest with you tonight. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. You know, uh, I'm just being honest with you. Uh, I'm just going to be really honest with you. I'm not even close to being there yet. Because I still grumble and complain when I don't feel good. You know, I still get my feelings get hurt when someone says something nasty about me or wrong about me. I get my feelings hurt. I like to think I'm superhuman, but I, I still have my moments where things get to me and, and, and I begin to look. And yes, they're important things, but I think, man, if Job can still stand up and bless God and not lose his testimony and not lose his witness in all of those things, as I read this, I thought to myself, I've got to see something in Job life that obviously I'm not living in mine. Is that cool? And that's what the Word of God is given to us. The Bible talks about this, that the Word of God is given to us as an example that we can read of what other people went through and how they tackled the struggles, how they faced the struggles, how they failed in the struggles, because we can learn as much about um, how we need to live our lives by the failures of other people too, so we don't have to go the same way. But there's got to be something in Job's life that we've got to see, because I want to be that type of follower. 
I want to be the one that despite it all, I'm going to throw my hands in the air and say, God, you gave it. God, you took it away. But you know what? Praise God. I'm still going to rejoice. I'm still going to praise you. I want to get in that place that no matter what I face, God is still the first one I go to. Come on, that I don't lose that connection with God, that I don't get angry at God and say bad God. And I don't blame God, but I realize I need him now more than I've ever needed him before. And that's not even a right statement because we never need him more. We need him all the time, just as much. But we forget him when we don't need him so much. But we still need him just as much. Do I hear an amen? So the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of information about Job. We maybe have to read between the lines just a little bit. But I want to give you four key factors that I see in the life of Job that I think needs to be present in my life. If I want to be a follower of God, if I want to have that same stamina, that same endurance that Job had in his life, I think I need to have these things. Here's the first thing that we've got to have and we see in the life of Job. Number one, he feared God. He had a fear of God in his life. He feared God. You know, in Proverbs that was written by Solomon, you know who Solomon was? Solomon was the wisest man who has ever lived. The wisest man that ever lived. So if a wise man is wanting to give you advice, how many realizes that you would maybe do well to listen? He wasn't just a wise man in worldly wisdom. He was wise because God had touched his life. God was using him and speaking and God was the one that gave him that wisdom. But look what he wrote in Proverbs 1 verse 7. He says this, the fear of God is the beginning. It's the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of God is the beginning. I'm telling you right now, fearing God is the beginning of a blessed life. Fearing God is the beginning of a victorious life. Fearing God is the beginning of living a life that will please God. We must start at the beginning and the beginning is to fear God. The word knowledge that's used there is dat-at, D-A-A-T, okay, which means knowing, understanding, intelligence, wisdom, discernment, and skill. And it comes from the verb yada. And yada is what we talked about a few weeks ago in reference to how Adam knew Eve. Yada, to know, to have an intimacy there. So what do we see? The fear of God is the beginning of an intimate relationship, a knowledge, a discernment, what God wants each one of us to have with Him and to live with other people. God wants us to have knowledge. God wants us to have wisdom. We know that from God's Word. He said, if anyone lacks, wisdom, please ask me. And the Bible says God wants to give liberally and without reproach. What does that mean? He wants to give you more than you need and he doesn't judge you for the failures of your past. In fact, God probably looks and says, thank God you asked because you really do need it. God doesn't judge you for it. He's just happy to give it to you because you need it. How many knows we need the wisdom of God? The fear of God is where that begins. It's where the relationship begins. It's where the intimacy begins. It's where understanding, it's where all these things begin. But you've got to understand the fear of God is not fear as in the terror of a tyrant. It's not like God's this monster and I'm so afraid that I'm shaken under fear. And, and, because if it were that type of fear, guess what? If you're afraid of the dark, what do you not do? You don't go into the dark. If you're afraid of spiders, you don't touch a spider. If you're afraid of something, if you're afraid of heights, you don't go up in an elevator. If you're afraid of heights, you don't go on a roller coaster. What do you do? You run from it. You're afraid of it. If someone says, man, you've got to come and experience this. This is great. What does your fear do? Your fear stops you from encountering that experience. Why? Because you can't go there. Is everyone with me? You can't go there because of your fear. So can you see that's not the type of fear God wants us to have because he wants us to come there. He doesn't want us to be afraid of him in the fact of that we're fearful of him and we don't want to be around him. If that was the case, how could we ever have relationship with God? Okay, so it's not that type of fear. But the fear is this in the sense of having such a respect. 
such an awe, A-W-E, an awe, a wonder, an amazement of the greatness of who God is is the greatness of who he is that it, I tremble as the thought of how magnificent how awesome how powerful I have such a respect for God in my life but you see it's not just having a respect and an awe and a being in wonder of God it's a fear it's a wonder it's an awe it's a respect that wants to produce something in my life you know what it wants to produce obedience wants to produce an obedience life. It's fear that will lead to an obedience to Him and then we'll be the wisest of all. Look what it says in Proverbs 3 verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It's another thing that we see from the fear of God. What does it do in our lives? As a result of having godly fear... What does it say? We will depart from evil. We will not want to do those things anymore because we don't want to hurt a God that we respect so much and we have such an awe for and we have such a wonderful... We don't want to do anything to hurt and we don't want to do anything to displease God. And we see that in the life of Job. The first verse of Job chapter 1, it says he was one who feared God. And as a result, what was it? He shunned evil. As a result of his fear, the beginning of life, what happened? He steered away from, he turned away from evil. And the evidence of fear was all over Job's life. The evidence of him fearing God was all over his life. It talks about he was blameless and he was upright. It talks about he was blessed both with his family and with his possessions. It talks about the godly character he had. It talks about the protection that God had put all around him and everything that he had. Why was that? Because he feared God. It's so sad to me that somehow in church life we seem to have lost that fear. That we just live however we want, we do whatever we want, And we say, well, the grace of God is going to forgive me from this. And the grace of God, and we almost jump on the grace of God, I believe, in a wrong way. Because of that, we are disrespecting God many times in our lives. We've lost the fear of God. We've lost that fear because if we truly respected God and we totally loved Him and we were in relationship with Him, we wouldn't do half the things that we do. We wouldn't say half the things we say. And we would shut our minds down before they thought half the thoughts that they go to. You've got to remember this. Fear is the starting point. It's the starting point of life. We've got to have a fear of God. We've got to have a fear of God in our lives and an awe and a wonder. So Job had a fear from God. What do we see? Number two. Here's what we see in the life of Job. He took responsibility for what had been given to him. He took responsibility. The Bible says that he was blessed, but I read that Job didn't take anything for granted. He valued those things. He cherished those things. He looked to those things. Look how he handled his family. Look at his responsibilities he took as a father over his children. Verse 5 says that when it was, when the day of feasting had run their course, Job would send and sanctify them. He would consecrate his family. What would he do? He would rise early in the morning. He would offer a burnt offering according to the number of them all. Each one of his kids... Ten kids, was it seven sons and three daughters? Ten children, he would offer a sacrifice for each one of them because he said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God. And it says this, that Job did this regular, often, whenever it is needed. Here's my challenge for every one of you tonight. What has been entrusted into your care? What has God placed in your care? What are the responsibilities that God has given to you? Are you being responsible for them or are you being irresponsible for them? You may say, well, Pastor Philip, I'm kind of somewhere in between. There is no in between. You're either being responsible 
or you're being irresponsible. The area that we have made in between is a no man's land and it doesn't even exist. We think it does, but it doesn't because God says it this way in Revelations. He said, you're either hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, you vomit to my mouth. That in-between area we've got to be careful with because that's not a good place to be. God said, I'd rather you be cold than be in the middle. He wants us to be hot. He wants us to be on fire from him. But he doesn't want us to be straddling that fence in between. So what is your responsibilities? What are you doing? Think about some of your responsibilities. What about your health? God has entrusted you with your life. What are you doing with that? What about your finances? What are you doing with those things? Since we talked about Job and his family, let me just say this, and this is something that I'm very passionate about. As parents, it is not the responsibility of teachers, preachers, Coaches, counselors, Facebook, the internet, TV, video games, the media, sports. It is not the responsibility of others to raise your kids. It is not the responsibility of others. Parents, that's your responsibility to raise them in a godly way. And in doing so, what do we do? We create the right environment for them. We put them in the right training. We put them in the right schools. We put them in the right places for what reason? That they'll be nurtured and develop and grow. But it's our responsibility to be the ones that spearhead in that and a part of that. Look at Job. These were older kids, but what did Job do? He was there at their house to offer a sacrifice on their behalf. These are my kids. God has entrusted them with me. And I don't want them to stray. I don't want them to be lost. And I'm going to stand in the gap for them. You see, in the Old Testament, Job was like a priest to his family. As parents, that's what we're called to be. We're called to be that, the representative. We're representing Christ to our children. We can't save our kids, but until they come to the age of saving and know God for themselves, guess what? We've got to be that Holy Spirit for their lives. We've got to be that God leading them. That's our responsibility. What are you doing with your responsibilities that have been given to you? Proverbs 22 verse 6 tells us, as parents we are to what? Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. It doesn't say parents give that responsibility to someone else. It says that's our responsibility to do that. Come on, dad, that's your responsibility. Mom, that's your responsibility. And as Nike says, just do it, please. I mean, just do it. Help us. Instead of blaming others for what's not happening in your kids, take responsibility for it. Know what they're listening to on their iPads. Know what they're involved with. Know the friends that they're hanging out with. That's your responsibility. That's your responsibility. You know the problem why we're cursing God? You know the problem why when things don't go where we want? Because we are shirking in the responsibilities that God has given us in our lives. You've got to take the responsibilities. Man, I could preach on this for weeks, for weeks. Job was that great father. He was the priest, as I said. But it went even further than just his family. He took his responsibility seriously across the board. And you know how I know this? Let me show you how. Because Luke 16, verse 10, says these words. He who is faithful in what is a least, guess what? He will also be faithful in what is much. But he who is unjust unfaithful, irresponsible with what is just a little. Guess what? God says he's going to live the same way. How do I know that equates to Job? Because the Bible says he was blessed in such a way. God doesn't lie. We read about Job that as he was a good steward, guess what? With the smallest things in life, God blessed him with possessions and wealth and riches and children and all those things. Why? I really believe because he was faithful in the little things. If you want the great things in life, you've got to start by being faithful where God has placed you. Some people come to me and say, Pastor Philip, you know what? I want to do a ministry at the church. What can I do? I said, here's your first ministry to your family. If your family's not where they need to be, that's where you need to start. That's where it needs to begin. You've got a responsibility as parents to heed that, to do that, and to be that. You see, if God cannot trust you with great things, why should he give you? great things. 
You see, it's a question of trust. Trust has to be built. Come on, those of you who've got kids, you don't just give your kid who's four years of age a credit card and say, hey, if you ever need anything, there it is. Here's the PIN number. Just go for it. Why? Because you're going to be broke in a couple of days. You know what I'm saying? You know, there's responsibilities. You know, we're dealing with teenagers. You know, Maddie's 18. Brittany's 20. She's out of the teens. Hannah's 16. You know what they say many times? When are you going to give us more responsibility? You know what our answer is? When you begin to be responsible for what you're doing. And when you can clean your room and when you can do things and, and be polite and be mannerable, if you take responsibility in that, then guess what? We can entrust you with more. Do you see in our lives we get grumble and complain about what we don't have, but then we're not handling what God has already given us? We've got to be responsible. We've got to take responsibility for our lives. Job had earned that right and he was extremely blessed. Look what verse 3 says. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys. And what does it say? This man was the greatest of all people in the East. I'm telling you right now, that didn't happen by chance. That does not happen by chance. That happens by stewardship. That happens by us being responsible for what God has given to us. And the question is this, can God trust you and entrust you? Because if he can't trust you, he can't trust you with more. Come on, but if you're a follower, God wants to give it to you. Come on, I've got to move along really quick. Point number three, Job had godly character. He was a good man. He was a God man. He had godly character. Out of the entirety of mankind, Job was the one that was chosen by God. He was the choice of God. He said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? You know, what does God say about Job? God says this in verse 8, he's blameless and he's upright. He's one who fears me and he shuns evil. God says these words. God says there is none like him. Can you almost sense the pride in God's word and not pride in a bad way, but the pride that God has? Look at him. He is blameless. He is upright. He has such a godly character in his life. It's almost like God saying, that's my boy. That's my man, Job. He's my homie. He's my boy. Come on, we're tight. But please notice how Satan replies. What does Satan say in verse 10 and 11? Have you not made a hedge all around him? His household, all that he has on every side. Have you not blessed the work of his hands and his possessions? Have you not increased? Has he not increased in the land? I love this because you know what? There's protection. When you live a life that fears God, when you take your responsibilities that God has given you and you act upon them and you live with godly character, you know what that would produce in your life? The protection of God upon everything that you have. God put a hedge all around Job. And everything he possessed. And we know what that was. It was a lot of things. But you know what the hedge was that God put around Job? It was God. It was God. It was God. I meant to bring a board in here tonight and I'm so sorry I didn't do it. We're going to do an imaginary board right now. Are you with me? Draw on a big circle. Everyone see that big circle on the board? Big circle. Good circle. Good circle. Okay. That circle is the will of God for your life. You know what happens? You're a dot in the middle of that circle. So in the middle of this big circle, there you are in the middle. That's the hedge of God all around you. And you know what happens? Satan wants to come on the outside and he wants to buff it because Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to take from you. He wants to steal from your life. So he wants to do everything he can to get into that circle, to get into you. For what reason? He wants to destroy you. Kill, steal, destroy. Everyone with me on that? So everything that Satan throws at me is to destroy my life. But notice this, there's a hedge that God has placed around me. So if the things that Satan means to destroy me get through to me, you've got to realize this is because God has allowed it to happen. Can you see that? Can you see it on the circle? If it comes through the circle and comes to me, it's because God has allowed that to happen. But notice this, what Satan means to destroy my life. God turns it around and he uses that thing for what reason? To grow me, 
to develop me, to build me, to strengthen me. So anything that gets through, if I'm in the will of God, if I'm living a godly life and I have godly character and I'm in the will of God for my life, guess what? Anything that comes to me has been allowed to come through by God and it's to help me, to promote me and to bless me. When Satan means it for harm, God will use it to build me up. And I love that. Satan touches everything that Job has. But what do we see? Here's the fourth part, and this is the end, okay? Here's the fourth part. What do we see Job does? Job is a worshipper. He's a worshipper. A worshipper. Job arose, verse 20, he tore his robe, he shaved his head. That was a sign, symbolic of a time of mourning. He was in mourning because of the loss of everything that he had. He shaved his head, but what did he do? He fell to the ground and he worshipped God. If you're taking notes today, you need to write this down. If you're not taking notes today, you need to write this down. Are you ready? Worship is not what we do. Worship is who we are. If worship is what you do when you lose everything, guess what? You're not going to do it. But if worship is who you are, then no matter what hits you from the outside... There's something still that's greater on the insides. Adversity, trials and tribulation are used by God. Satan wants to destroy us, but God wants to use them for what reason? For to identify the sincerity of our heart, our worship towards God. Oh, it's easy to worship God when everything's going great. It's easy to worship God when you're driving to work and your truck is working fine. But it's another thing to throw your hands in the air after you've been at work for a little while and someone comes and says your truck is on fire. Come on, that's a different story. That's tough. That's tough. It's tough when he's a bad God. And don't look at me crazy. You know he's been a bad God to you. He's not, but that's what you think he's been. It's tough to worship him like that. But that's where true worship comes. Look what it says in John 4 verse 23. Jesus has just sat with a lady at the well and he's told her everything about her life. And and, and she's still confused about really who he is. And one day we're going to worship and one day we're going to be this. And Jesus looked and says, this is the day because I'm the one that you need to worship. And Jesus said to her these words. He said, the hour is coming, but really it's even right now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in what? In spirit? And in truth. Say with me, spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. The Father is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Can I just break down spirit and truth for you just really quickly? Spirit is when you're in church. Spirit is when you're in a corporate worship all together. It's easy, isn't it, when the music's playing, Trey, Megan, whoever's leading with us, they're singers, it's the right environment. It's easy to worship God because that's what everyone else is doing anyway, so I'm just going to worship God. That's worship God in spirit. Nothing wrong with that. It's great. We need to do that. But then there's another dimension of worship, and it's truth. 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 Say with me, out there. When you step out of here, you don't have the band, you don't have the singers, you don't have other people around you. When things aren't going easy, when it gets tough, when you don't have enough money to pay the bills, when you've lost your job, when the doctor's reports, how many knows that's the truth that we live in so many times in our lives? And God said, I'm seeking worshipers that will worship me in church, in spirit, but I'm also seeking those who will worship me when the rubber hits the road, when life starts and things happen. And Job said in verse 22, in all this, he did not sin nor charge God with any wrong. But what did he do? He worshipped. What did worship do? Here's what worship does. It changes the atmosphere. He changed the atmosphere of the moment. I could talk for weeks on praise and worship. Absolutely love it because I'm a worshipper. I've realized the secret of worship and I'm going to share that with you. Here's the secret of worship. Are you ready? Why do we worship? Why do we praise? Here's the secret of worship. Because worship releases the presence of God into my life. It releases the presence of God into my situations. It welcomes Him in and then it allows Him to do His thing. Come on. It welcomes Him in. Look what Psalms 22 verse 3 says. But you are holy. You sure are holy, God. That means incapable of wrong. 
You are holy, God, and you are what enthroned in the praises of Israel, in the praises of your people. God, you are holy. Verse 4 says, our fathers trusted in you and they trusted and you delivered them. Listen to me. Praise brings his presence. His presence produces results. And the results will bring about the breakthroughs and changes in your life. Now, now I know, and, and don't shout me down, I know that God is everywhere present at all times. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. But you know what praise does? Praise welcomes him into our situations. God can be everywhere, but not welcome everywhere. God is everywhere. Let me make that right. God is everywhere, but he's not welcomed everywhere. And we've got to realize that we've got to welcome him in because when we begin to praise God, that's what worship does. It welcomes God in. And as a result, he enters. And guess what? He longs, the Bible tells us, to take up residence inside of us because as we pray, we enthrone God. We knit a throne of praise. As we worship God, we build a throne that his presence can come and dwell in. And that word enthrone means inhabited, sit down, to remain, to settle. Listen to this. It means to be married to be joined together. God wants to be a part of your world every day. And that's what worship does. God's worship welcomes him into into your world. And from those two verses we read in Psalms 22, verse 3 and 4, we see these words, praise, trusted and delivered. What does that mean? When we praise him, we can trust him that he's going to bring the deliverance. It was some time for Job before his deliverance came. But listen to me, it started inside of him the moment he began to worship God. Well, I'm going to wait for God to move. No, move God. What? Move God? Where's that scripturally? Why? Because you move God into your life when you begin to worship him. Don't wait for the circumstances to change. Allow God to be a change inside of you. Start inside of him. His worship, listen to this, his worship conceived, I really believe, the miracle he needed in his life. What miracle do you need? It's not what you do, it's who you are. A worshipper of God. It could get worse before it got better. It did for Job, because if you would read in chapter 2, you see that God, that Satan comes back to God again and said, God, that didn't work. I did everything like I said I would, and, and he's still praising you, still worshiping you. Can I touch him physically now? And God said, you can touch him, you just can't take his life. But if you will read through the entirety of Job, guess what? He didn't quit. Come on, followers don't quit. You know what a follower does? A follower... T- ties a knot on the end of the rope and hangs on for dear life. A follower trusts God. A follower never gives up. I want to tell you tonight that God wants to help you through. Just everyone, if you would just bow your heads. We're getting ready to close. I want you to just bow your heads with me tonight. And maybe you're in that place right now. Maybe you're, you've almost given up. You know, you're just at the end of that rope. You just don't think you can hold on much longer. Or maybe even tonight you have given up. Maybe you've given up. Maybe you've thrown in the towel. But I want to tell you again, followers don't quit. They don't accept this as being the end. Are you willing to accept where you're at as the end? Is this going to be the legacy that writes your life story? Because if we quit, that's exactly what we're doing. We're allowing that to be what's written of our lives. But I want to be like Job. I want to be a follower. I don't want to accept this as being the end. I just want to accept this as another opportunity for God once again to show up with his mighty power and for God to show out and do wonders. And as a result, guess what? I'm going to be changed and I'm going to be developed. How did Job do it? I mean, really, Job, how did you do it? Because he had the goods. Job feared God. That was the beginning of everything else that followed after. He took responsibility. He was a good steward with that which he had been given. What God had entrusted him and God was able to bless him with more. He had a godly character. He he was a worshipper. And I'm telling you, nothing you will ever face in life will ever be worse than that day that Job had to endure. And he made it through. 
And he made it through because he refused to curse God, to deny God's ability to work on his behalf. And if you'll read through all the chapters of Job, you know what else he refused to do? He refused to listen to the opinions of others. You've got to be careful of the opinions of others. Because the other opinions of others would go something like this. Well, if God really loved you, told you that Christianity stuff is just a load of junk because if God really cared about you, the opinions of others is, you just need to divorce and kick his sorry butt to the curb. You've got to watch the opinions of others because you know what? I don't want what other people think. I want what God knows. I want what God wants for my life. And that's exactly what we must do tonight. We're going to make it through. You're going to make it through if you grab a hold of God and don't quit. But will you trust Him? Will you follow Him? As every head is bowed and every eye is closed in this place, how many would maybe lift up their hand and say, Pastor Philip, that's me. I'm almost at that place of quitting. I mean, I'm in a tough place. Maybe you've even quit and you've thrown in a towel and said, I just don't think I can make it anymore. Come on, who's going to just put up their hand just really quick? I'm not going to embarrass you. Thank you. There's a hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyone else? You can put it right down after you put it up. Is there anyone else? I want to pray for every one of you tonight. And here's what's very interesting. The Bible says in the latter part of Job, I can't remember the chapter. I think it was 31 of Job or 30. However many chapters there were, it's the last one. The Bible says that when Job began to pray for his friends... Okay, we'll get there. Okay, we'll get there. Okay, 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 we'll get there. We'll get there. But the Bible says that when Job prayed for his friends, God restored back to him double what he had before. Because here's here's one thing that God did not allow Satan to take. God did not allow Satan to take away Job's wife. And you may say, well, why his wife? Because that was the means of bringing new life back into the world through Job. And I'm telling you right now, you've still got life. You've still got life. It may feel like it's been taken. And like Miss Kim says, we're going to pray for her son. He's been incarcerated and, and just in a low place right now. We're going to lift him up. But we're going to lift you up right now, wherever you're at. Come on, would you agree with me tonight? And let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray God right now that God, you would touch everyone in this place. God, those who are at the point of giving up. God, those who feel that they can't make it any longer. God, I pray that you would give them the comfort that they need right now. I pray, God, that you would give them the strength that they need right now. God, I pray that you would undertake right now. God, for Kim's son, God, just for every hand that was lifted up, even those that didn't lift up their hands, God, may we never give up, may we never throw in the towel but God, may we fear you God, may we be a steward, God may we hold on to our godly character God, may we ever worship you because worship is going to be that that creates, that's what ushers in your presence and God, may worship never be something we do may it never just be a song we sing but God, may it be a song we live May it be who we are. Because God, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. And God, I just pray, God, right now. I just pray right now. Come on, if someone's around you right now, could you just put your arm around them, take their hand? Just everyone in this place. Could we just pray for someone around you right now? Just pray for someone around you right now. And just we're just going to pray for them. We don't know all the needs. We don't know what's going on in their lives. But you know what? Here's what we're doing. We're praying for them. And as we pray for them, we're believing that God right now will release back to us. Come on, as we pray for them, we believe right now that God will release back to us. As we pray for them, we believe right now that God, you will release back into their lives. God, into each one, God, that you would do that, God. In the name of Jesus, God, right now, God, we pray for each other all over this place. God, we pray, God, right now that your blessing, God, that your power, that your anointing would be released. God, we pray, God, that they would never give up. God, we pray for a stamina, God, a new boldness, God, that they would never give up. They would never quit, but God, they would hold on and keep trusting you, keep believing you, God. 
We pray, God, that they would fear you like never before, that would lead to obedience in their life. God, we pray, God, right now that we would be stewards, God, with that which you've entrusted into our keeping and our care, that we would have such godly character, God, that we'd be a worshipper in spirit and in truth. God, we just pray that our lives would never be the same again, that, God, you would help us, that you would just strengthen us, that you would encourage us. And God, we just believe that the end is not yet. Come on. This is not our legacy. This is not who we're going to be. Because greater are you that is within us than any power that's in this world. And God, anything that gets through to us is not to destroy us, but to build us and to make us better. Because God, you're in the building business. And God, we thank you. We praise you tonight. In Jesus' name. Come on, shout amen in the house. Come on, shout amen in the house. So be it, so be it. Just as we close the service, and I know I've run over tonight, and I apologize for that, I really do. I know kids have got school, but is there anyone tonight that needs to give their life to Christ? Is there anyone that doesn't know God? We want to pray for you. If that's you, just wave right now. You you need to give your life to Christ. We want to pray for you. Steve, we're going to pray with you, mate. Going to pray with you. Anyone else tonight? Come on, let's pray with Steve tonight. Can we pray this prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for my sins and the things that I've done. But I give my life to you and I trust you with my future. And I know, God, you're going to work all things together for your good. I thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I love you all. Be back Sunday. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.